about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. G'day. It's uh, great to meet you online. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to uh, add to Becky's welcome, especially if you are new among us. It's great to have you. And as strange as this season is uh, to be doing this uh, online, uh, it's still great to, to keep hearing from God's Word. And so I'm going to pray as, as I start and um, that, that God would use me, this technology, uh, that his word would be powerful in our hearts uh, by his spirit. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, that as we sit down in our lounges, on our stools, or wherever we find ourselves right now, Father, that you would be uh, alive and present in our hearts by the power of your spirit to help us clearly hear what you want us to hear this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's my privilege to bring uh, part two of our series in Jonah. If you missed the first part, it's okay. You can look online or you can catch up today. Um, I'll give you some context. Uh, Today is about uh, Jonah's prayer of distress. Uh, Distress is something that might be on our minds at the moment. Uh, I don't know your circumstances. Uh, Things are definitely changing and change by default brings distress. Uh, But there's often a lot more than that going on. And maybe that's the case for you. Uh, If you're feeling that or even if you can look back at different parts of your life and see moments of distress, sometimes it's also the greatest times of being challenged, of growing. Even joy might come out of uh, such growth in times of distress. But there is nothing quite as bad as someone saying to you in that that cry of despair, uh, it's okay, cheer up buckaroo, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That just does not speak to our heart. (laughs) 
But what is what is distress about? What are we doing in that moment of distress? And and how do we make sense of it? That's what we're going to be looking at today. As way of introduction, I would say distress at least prompts us to reprioritize. Uh, just uh, the other week, I was uh, going out to my car and I uh, saw my neighbors who were standing. There was a few of them together standing at safe distance apart and then they were chatting and we exchanged hellos across the street and they said, oh, Mike, we're talking about you. And it was a positive enough tone that I thought I'd join the conversation to see what was they were talking about. And uh, they were talking about a street party that Kel and I, my wife and I, uh, tried to host um, a while back now. Uh, we sent out invitations to everyone in our street and because the townhouses are packed so tightly together, everyone in our street was 150 people and we thought this is going to be huge and we're really anticipating kind of the joy of having so many people. And um, when the day came for that street party, one elderly lady from our church congregation appeared and that was it. And that was a beautiful time with dear old Murray, uh, but we felt a little bit rejected, a little bit kind of embarrassed as we walked down the street the week after, but didn't think too much more about it until this day, this just a couple of weeks ago, as I'm chained to my neighbors, they said, Mike, we were talking about that street party you were trying to host. And, and in light of all that's happening uh, with, uh, with COVID and lockdown, we kind of wish we'd come and maybe we could do this again sometime and, and maybe we could, you could host it on the church grounds. And I was like, wow. That'd be beautiful. Uh, Moments of distress force us to reprioritize. And for Jonah, as he sank into the depths of the ocean, he was in a world of reprioritizing. If you're not familiar with Jonah, he was a prophet uh, that God had called and called particularly um, to call a people to repentance and to ultimately show them mercy if they returned. Uh, but uh, Jonah didn't really like that job task, and so he he ran the other way. He he rejected God. He didn't trust Him as good, and, and he ran the other way and jumped on a ship that was heading in the complete opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. And in chapter one, God chased him down in an incredible storm, and and Jonah realizes uh, what is happening and throws himself into the ocean. He he would have felt in that moment uh, a very raw sense of the wrath of God. For the, for the raging waters and, and now throwing himself into the, into the watery depths with the light fading and the bitter cold water entering his lungs, he cries out in distress. Whatever his priorities were before, he is about to die and he has nothing left but to cry out in distress. And as verse 1 tells us, he is, we are reflecting on this cry of distress in this prayer in the belly of a fish because <laughs> God sent a fish when he heard Jonah's distress to deliver him. You know, that's kind of a crazy story, right? And you might have known it from, uh, from Sunday school stories. Or just this, it's a very kind of well-known uh, kind of story that Jonah was saved in the belly of a fish. Now, it is crazy, right? And I was thinking and I was Googling this week about, you know, what that would look like for a fish to swallow someone, a whale perhaps. And, and I found this story of, uh, of the Spanish fisherman uh, from 2017, Luigi Marquez. And, uh, and the story goes that uh, he went out fishing uh, after the waters of Italy and, uh, and fell overboard and people were searching for him and they couldn't find him. And three days later, he appears with the story that he'd been swallowed by a fish. And I was like, wow, it's kind of... A little bit more Googling, that story is totally fake. <laughs> I think someone was getting a bit too excited about trying to create some validity for this story for the skeptics. In the end, uh, this is nothing other than a miraculous provision. And the only way I make sense of this is through the lips of Jesus, 
who says in Matthew 12, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And if Jesus, um, who was a historical person, who, who really died, and I believe really rose from the dead after being in the heart of the earth for three days, if God can, can miraculously, and surely it's the, it's the greatest miracle that ever was, raise him from death, and if he can refer to Jonah's story, which appears historical, uh, by comparison, then, then I'm just going to believe it. I'm going to believe that, that God really did provide some miraculous deliverance here. And, and, and with Jonah, here he is, uh, delivered, partially so at least, as he, as he sits in the belly of the fish, contemplating all that's happened, maybe coming in and out of consciousness. There would have been a lot of air in there. It would not have been a nice place to be. But nonetheless, he was not sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And in that moment where he can just catch his breath and try and make sense of what happened, he is making sense of his distress and how it reprioritizes his desires, our desires, as, as he does, as we cry out from our heart. What's the first thing you do when you're in that moment of distress? You, you look for solid ground. You look for an option that, that's better than, than what you're in. And as you're sinking down, as Jonah's sinking down the, you know, to, the, to the watery depths, to his grave, uh, he cries out to the Lord. In my distress, as is verse 2, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. That is, he sent the, the fish to swallow him whole. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Where does he look? Into verse 4, I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah is, is looking to that sacred space, that solid ground, to the very presence of God. And he's crying out for mercy before God, save me. Is he worthy to be saved? Now, surely he recognizes that he's not in a position to bargain. He is absolutely desperate. He's got nothing to offer here. And the other thing is he's... he's He's totally rejected God here, just prior to this. And the reason he's in this predicament is because he rejected God and ran the opposite direction. And God, in his, in his crazy love, pursued him even with a storm that he might come to his senses, that he might reprioritize to rediscover God's goodness. But out of that rejection, all this is unfolding for Jonah, and, uh, and now he's crying out for help, whether he's worthy or not. He's got nothing to lose to cry out, right? But it is interesting to wonder, how should God respond to this? I was faced with this very question this week as, uh, as I've been doing sort of lockdown with my family and kids. And it's, uh, it's not always fun, I'll tell you that. And uh, one of my kids who was just freaking out, having a massive tantrum because he didn't want to do his morning chores, which was, uh, I think, the extravagant task of putting the cereal away. And he's kicking and screaming and it's all crazy. And 10 minutes later while doing his Lego, he says, Daddy, I need help. It was felt like saying, <laughs> you can imagine what I felt like saying. <laughs> what would, what does God do here? In this moment of distress, and distress because of Jonah's rejection of God, 
Should God be merciful when he deserves anything but mercy? Yes. For as much as Jonah recognizes that it was God who banished him to the waters, and as he sank down to the roots of the mountains and the earth beneath barred me forever, what comes next in verse 6? It happens a couple of times in this prayer is the extravagant and beautiful and glorious gospel flip. It's that the pivot in the gospel story, in the good news story of God and humanity, that despite our failings, but, or, or, or yet, God still loves us. That God is still merciful in spite of our failings, in spite of us deserving anything but His mercy, God is merciful. And, and nowhere else more clearly puts this than in the New Testament, where uh, Paul reflects on this in Ephesians chapter 2. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul is putting us in Jonah's position here. We were deserving of God's wrath that was displayed in such, uh, such raging waters. But, there it is again, but, because of his great love for us, because of what we did? No, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our sin. There is no way that a dead person can raise themselves to life. There is nothing here that we contribute. It is all resting on God's mercy. And that is all that Jonah has to appeal to. That is ultimately all we have to appeal to. We have nothing that is worthy of God's attention because of our failings. And we need to cry out for his mercy because God is the hero of the story, not Jonah, not us. And that's good news because God is good. Now, God is the hero of the story all the more. Because as I look to Jonah's crying out of desperation, his, his, his prayer of distress, I find, I find him lacking. And he shows me oh, something of myself as well in that. See, the thing is, is he is very obviously aware of his predicament, of his distress, of his need for deliverance. But he's not very aware of his personal offending of God. You see, kind of in that, in that passage, uh, verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Is that the right word? Like, did he just go, oops, I forgot you, God. But as I was dying, I was like, oh, I suddenly remembered you, God. Yeah, you're that good guy who kind of does good stuff. That's not the right word. He should be saying, I am sorry I rejected you. I am sorry I offended you. I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm going to cry out all the same. That would be a prayer of, of repentance, of, of asking for forgiveness. A prayer that recognizes our personal standing, our personal, our relational standing before God and, and, and at the personal offense of our rejection of him. And by repentance, I mean actually articulating what you've done wrong before God. And asking him to change you, that you wouldn't live like that anymore. 
I don't see that prayer of repentance in this prayer of desperation. And without repentance, faith just it becomes a silver necklace around your neck, an accessory, benign. It's got no teeth. It's not deeply personal. You miss the joy of a vulnerable relationship where you are real with God and you taste the joy of truly being forgiven, where you really open yourself up to God and trust that He will speak His kindness and work His power for transformation in you despite your failings. When you do that, when you are that real with God, there is a joy to be found that, that is unlike anything else. And Jonah's cry of despair lacks this personal expression, I find. And he risks shipwrecking his entire faith. Even the last part, verse 8 to 9, which has some beautiful moments in it, I also find lacking. Those who cling to worthless idols, he says, turn away from God's love for them. I don't know who he's referring to there. Maybe he's referring to the pagans on the ship that he had boarded with. Um who kind of declared their kind of love of other gods, um, and those gods were silent, they're idols. Now, if he is referring to them, he's kind of looking down on them in that moment, uh, but he's way behind the eight ball because as we read at the end of the last chapter, they've already repented and offering sacrifice to the living God. <laughs> but I, he says in verse 9, but I, with shouts of great pro- grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. One of the things that distress can do it is make your whole world about you. And when, when the pain is screaming out from your heart, I get it. But I find here Jonah puts himself too much in the picture, too much at the center. The thing about the Christian faith is it has a very humble sense of self before God. As we come before him and ask for his forgiveness, we are being very humble, very lowly in that moment. But God in his mercy will give you a new sense of self. He will lift you up as he shines his face upon you. As you are bound up with the living God, as he says, I'm with you, you are my child. We can't manufacture that. That is a gift given. And we access it through humble faith and repentance. (laughs) Despite all of this, For Jonah's lacking, God delivers. (laughs) Because despite his failings, God is merciful. And the whale spits him out, vomits him up on dry land. (laughs) And just like Jesus was raised from the dead, just like Jonah is spat out through this unexpected kind of deliverance, God's deliverance is often radical and not what we expect. We need to trust that God is good and that he will work his sovereign ways through, through all the circumstances of our life and that he will deliver us in his time and in his way to ultimately shape us to be more like him. And we need to have confidence that he will deliver us, that he has forgiven us, that he has given us new life and that he will work all his ways for his goodness and his glory to deliver us until we ultimately see him face to face. We need to know that Christian faith works, to put it bluntly. There's this story of 
uh, Corey Ten Boone. I haven't got this, uh, the quote up on the screen. Corrie Ten Boone, who was a, um, a Dutch woman who with her family kind of harbored uh, Jews um, in, uh, in their house under Nazi Germany. And that came with obvious costs and she was detained and it was very serious for her. She knew Christ. and In fact, her family did what they did because they had found mercy in God and they were victors no matter what was happening in the war because of that, of that being grounded in Christ. But she says this, she says, I've experienced his presence in the deepest, darkest hell that men can create. And you've got to let that sink in for a moment, right? Whatever kind of distress we're in, she's talking about the deepest, darkest hell that men can create. And she says, I've tested the promises of the Bible and believe me, she says, you can count on them. We need to be able to, to pull the lever on Christian faith and know that God is on the other line of that, at the other end of that, that he will able to deliver us, that our faith is actually going to work even in unexpected ways. That is the joy of Christian faith, of trusting in God's goodness. And every prayer of distress that we fire up to God is grounded in the fact that he heard Jesus' cry of distress and raised him from death. And that gives us confidence, that gives us hope, and it gives us joy. That whatever the whirlwind around you is going on, whatever the distress in your heart, that there is something bigger at play here and it's God's glory and he wants you to be part of it. And on the other side of that, when you, when you realize that, that God is working in you, that he has heard your cry of distress, that you are not alone, that the God of the universe is at work in your life by the power of his spirit. When you know that, there is a joy and a thankfulness that can bubble up even in distress. So as I lie awake at night, sometimes uh, anxious, sometimes just a, a whirlwind of things going around in my head, I can pray, God, forgive me for not trusting you. My anxieties are part of my failure to trust you. Would you help me? And that gives me such a joy to be able to speak to my Heavenly Father like that. And I can return that in thankfulness the next morning, the next day, the next week, when I can say, God, I saw you deliver me from my anxieties. You showed me that you were at work. (laughs) Friends, we're being invited here to share the very heart of God to share his heart for a broken world. Because Jonah will be delivered from the whale to go on to do a great act of mercy and calling ah, a sinful city back to repentance. We'll wait for more on that next week. But as we are, as we are filled with God's presence, as he works in our life, he will use us to be his instruments of mercy because we have found mercy. Now, I want to add an important caveat here. Now, in Jonah's life, it was his sinfulness that directly resulted in his circumstances. And maybe the distress that you're experiencing is not a direct result of uh, that sinfulness that's, uh, that's part of your life. Uh, there are many times that we can't really see a direct connection. We might even feel, God, why are you punishing me for doing this? When you feel like that, can I ask you just to take a posture of humbleness before God and say, Who am I to receive your mercy? Would you show me the areas of my life that are broken, that offend you? 
And would you help me to live for you and to find that unshakable joy of knowing that you are with me and you have delivered me in Christ and and, and pray that he would deliver you day in, day out against all the distresses of your heart. I was doing some reading recently about some Chinese pastors uh, who are house church pastors. And uh, they've been suffering in distress in all kinds of ways over the, over the several decades before this. And, and they've got much to say to us in our moments of distress. As our world gets turned upside down, they've been living the upside down life uh, under threat of persecution, under all kinds of restrictions that we barely know. And these Christian pastors, these Chinese pastors, were rejoicing in how, how God's power is made perfect in weakness. And how the only safe place is in Christ. Maybe in all of this distress, maybe God's disorienting us to call us back to rediscover a a, a radical dependence on him. That we would not just wear a a kind of a a trinket around our neck, a kind of an accessory of faith, but that we might find the joy of deep repentance and personal dependence on Jesus Christ. And be filled with the joy of his spirit. Friends, we're being invited here to share the very heart of God. And he's calling you by name. He wants you to find the joy of being a child, a son, a daughter of the living God. And so far in, friends, in your distress, would you cry out and make it personal as you address your heavenly father? Let me pray. Our Father, um, you know the cries of our hearts. Would you, would you bring us into a, a rich encounter with yourself that whatever is happening in our world and you know all the details, you would, you would remind us of how you've delivered us from our sin, have given us forgiveness, have given us new life. And Father, we ask that you would, you would strengthen us in our moments of weakness in our moments of despair, that we might know all the more of your goodness and trust you until we see you face to face and can enjoy you forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.